Welcome to this month's special series, Exploring Heart Health, on ReachMD XM157. After the initial findings from the Women's Health Initiative were published, hormone replacement therapy in the menopause stopped practically overnight. But the first analysis may not be the last word. You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Benson. Our guest today is Dr. Richard Karras, Professor of Medicine at the Tufts University School of Medicine in Boston. He has several titles, including Co-Director, Molecular Cardiology Research Center, Director, Preventive Cardiology, and Director, Women's Heart Center at the New England Medical Center. He received his MD from Tufts and his PhD in Physiology from Harvard. We are discussing the latest thinking about the effects of hormone replacement therapy in menopause on the risk of cardiovascular disease. What was the HERS study? I understand that that's a different study than the Women's Health Initiative. Yeah. The HERS study was also a randomized placebo-controlled trial looking at the use of conjugated equine estrogens and medroxyprogesterone acetate to reduce cardiovascular events in women with established coronary artery disease. And that study showed overall after about five and a half years of follow-up that there was no significant effect of hormone therapy on cardiovascular risk. And it was an interesting pattern because they observed an increase in cardiovascular risk in the first year after treatment, neutral effect in the middle years, and then a trend toward benefit in the later years of the study. And when they summed all that up, it came out to an overall null effect. So when did this take place? When, when was the study done? That was done in the years just prior to when the WHI came out. But late 90s. Yeah, exactly. And so how did this confirm or differ from the findings of the Women's Health Initiative? It's very interesting. As you alluded to, our understanding and interpretation of these large clinical trials has evolved dramatically and is continuing to evolve very actively right up to the current time with major publications published even in the last few months. Some of the themes that have emerged directly related to the HERS study and the WHI is that it may be that the effects of estrogen to prevent atherosclerosis are gone by the time the atherosclerosis has become advanced enough to be clinically evident. So the idea being that a healthy blood vessel when exposed to estrogen may have beneficial effects, but that those effects may be lost once the artery has been diseased. And a very brief example of how that could be is that there are two publications showing that atherosclerotic coronary arteries no longer express estrogen receptors, whereas non-atherosclerotic coronary arteries do. I see. Now, uh, what were some of the limitations with the Women's Health Initiative itself? Anytime you design a clinical trial, you have to make some compromises, and there were some very difficult ones in the WHI. I think the two most likely relevant ones are these. First, the most appropriate group of individuals to study would be women in the near perimenopausal period because those are the women in real life, those reflected in the observational studies, who choose to take hormones. Uh, It's very, very uncommon for women in their 60s and 70s to choose to initiate hormone therapy. In contrast to that, Cardiovascular events are quite rare in women in their 50s and become more common in their 60s and quite common in their 70s. 
So you have a trade-off because if you want to study the most appropriate patient population, which is women in their 50s, you would have to study either an enormous population of women or you'd have to follow them for 15 or 20 years on therapy. And in a randomized controlled trial, that's extremely difficult to do. So the trade-off that was made was they elected to enroll about a third of the women in their 50s, a third in their 60s, and a third in their 70s. And realized then, of course, that the events in the trial are all driven by those in the older women because they have so many more events. That is really interesting, and that is certainly something that I didn't understand before. So the fact is they had to make some compromises. They were already spending 300 to $400 million. They couldn't spend $1.5 billion to either study a huge number of 50-year-olds or follow them for uh, 30 years. Right. And briefly, the other important decision they had to make was that women who had uh, moderate to severe menopausal symptoms were, quote, discouraged from participating in the trial. Now, Many people have been very critical of that because you would say, well, why would you give hormone therapy to women who aren't symptomatic? But I think to be very fair, that was a difficult ethical decision because you would be asking women who were suffering from significant menopausal symptoms to have a chance of being randomized to placebo. I have a question about discouraging somebody in a trial. How do you discourage them? Don't you just prohibit them from participating? Well, they didn't make it an exclusion criteria. They just said they were discouraged. And as a result, somewhere around 20 to 25% of women in the study did report significant symptoms. Now, all of that became very relevant, and particularly recently, because it turns out that in subgroup analyses, for example, published in JAMA in April of 2007, that the effect of the hormonal intervention differs in younger versus older women, and even more prominently in those who were near the menopause versus those who were far from menopause. And so you ended up with a situation where the outcome of the trials overall was driven by trends toward harm, but which occurred in the older population of women, whereas the clinically relevant population, the women who in everyday practice are trying to make decisions about initiating hormone therapy, actually in some cases showed trends toward benefit in outcomes. And that was sort of swamped when the study was looked at overall because of the majority of events being in older women. If you have just joined us, you are listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Benson, and my guest is Dr. Richard Karras, professor of medicine at the Tufts University School of Medicine in Boston. We are discussing the latest thinking about the effects of hormone replacement therapy in menopause on the risk of cardiovascular disease. Now, as I understand it, there were some other limitations with the WHI, the Women's Health Initiative study. One is that there were two forms of statistical analyses. Is that correct? That is correct, and that was also very controversial because the data were examined at multiple time points throughout the study, and because there are multiple endpoints in addition to the primary endpoint, typically what one does is one strengthens the criteria that are required for demonstrating statistical significance. And the WHI has been reported initially presenting both forms of statistical analyses, but the discussion and the results 
were really focused and interpreted using the unadjusted or nominal confidence intervals, as they're called. So what were the effects of the adjusted confidence intervals or leaving them out? Yeah. If you use the adjusted confidence intervals, for example, in the estrogen plus progestin study, the only significant finding was the increase in the risk of deep vein thrombosis and pulmonary embolism. And I think that in some way is part of the difficulty with the WHI is that it's very unsettling and very unsatisfying for such a huge effort to go into such a carefully designed and executed study to end up saying that in the end we really didn't learn a lot. I think politically it's a real problem when you've spent 300 or 400 million dollars. Yeah, it's a real problem. But if it, it is what it is, I know that you don't have any thought on this, but certainly it would seem like to the outside observer that the decision to use a statistical analysis that would yield more findings might have been an underlying motivation just because study designers want to justify the the expense. What about the revised and reissued endpoints? Yeah, and that's where this issue of the importance of timing of initiation on the cardiovascular effects has really come through so strongly, that the effects of the hormones are different in those who are further from menopause than those who are closer, and that the harms that are observed that are statistically significant in subgroup analysis are really restricted to the women in the older cohort, which is 70 to 79 years old. And I think if there's one general take-home message for the practitioner amongst all of this confusion and controversy, it's that to the largest extent, concern about risk that were raised from the WHI should not be applied to concerns about risk in symptomatic recently or perimenopausal women who are considering initiating hormone therapy. I think that's an important take-home message. What about adding progestin? The WHI suggested adding progestin was detrimental to heart health. Yeah. So that's a very, it sounds like a simple question, but it's a little bit of a complicated one. And the reason being that the women enrolled in the estrogen alone versus the estrogen plus progestin study were randomized separately. There was no, even though we talk about it as one group, the WHI studies, it wasn't one population randomized to either placebo or combined therapy or estrogen alone. They took the non-hysterectomized women and randomized them to placebo versus estrogen plus progestin, and they took the hysterectomized women and randomized them to placebo versus estrogen. So the underlying population studied are different. The one in the estrogen alone trial obviously had menopause decades earlier than those in the E plus P trial. They tended to be more obese. More of them were smokers. More of them had high blood pressure, et cetera. You need to be very careful in saying, well, the E plus P study showed this and the E study showed this. So obviously the progestin had the effect of whatever's different between those two. Oh, that's a, a huge thing because I think a lot of our clinicians lose sight of that, that they're really two different studies, and the starting populations were different, so it's not valid to make comparisons. That's my opinion, exactly. So can you sum up why the Women's Health Initiative, which found no cardiovascular benefit or even detriment, differed from the several decades of observational studies that preceded it? Yeah, what, that's like the absolute key question, and I'm glad you brought it up. So my understanding and the community of people's understanding is that it's exactly the difference in the patients studied 
in observational studies, the women who end up on hormone therapy tend by far to be those who are symptomatic and near the menopause. In the randomized clinical trials that we just talked about, like the WHI, those study outcomes are driven by older women who were likely not symptomatic and far from menopause. I want to thank Dr. Richard Karras, professor of medicine at the Tufts University School of Medicine in Boston, who has been our guest. We have been discussing the latest thinking about the effects of hormone replacement therapy in menopause and the risk of cardiovascular disease. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Benson. You have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your comments and questions through our website at ReachMD.com, which now features our entire medical show library in on-demand podcasts. Be safe. Be informed. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to our special series, Exploring Heart Health. Join us all month for more here on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals.